was old school. And he firmly believed that the delivery room was no place for a man, except the doctor, of course. Because, of course, he was old school and the doctor would be a man. It was clearly no place for a father. The father's place was in the waiting room where he could receive the joyful news, it's a girl, mother and baby are fine. And then he could forego all the pain and distress and the feeling of pure helplessness when there was nothing that he could do in the delivery room to help with this birthing process. My father and I disagreed about a lot of things. And I'm confident to say that on this one, he was just plain wrong. I wish everyone could have the opportunity to witness a birth for only one reason. Everyone needs to witness hope being born. Because one day, each one of us may be called upon to deliver it, to birth it ourselves. In today's text, Mary and Joseph are in this together, but actually Joseph is featured today more than Mary. It's so easy to get distracted by the overwhelmingly unbelievable aspects of this story, the magical nature of the tale, that we miss the small things, like the whole naming process. I remember when we were going through the name selection process when we were expecting our two, and we were very methodical about it. We knew that we wanted family names, and we had a list of about five or six that we really liked. But when it came down to picking one name or, or two names, we decided to make the decision by projecting into the child's future. How would the full name sound when his fourth grade teacher called roll? How would it sound at his high school graduation as he walked across the stage to receive his diploma? How would it sound when he answered the phone at work as a 40-year-old man? That's how we named our children. I really liked the name Cal, C-A-L, which was short for my grandfather's middle name, Isaac Calamese Jacks. I would never lay Calamese on somebody. <laughs> but I really liked Cal. But then, hello, this is Cal Dean speaking. That just didn't sound very good. It sounded more like some kind of bath oil or vitamin supplement. <laughs> so Cal, didn't make the cut. And Russ had a lot of rules for the name from his own experience. One syllable last name, Dean, requires at least a two or more syllable first name. You see, he's Russ Dean. But if you say, hi, I'm Russ Dean, they'll say, hey, Rusty, it's nice to meet you. So he had a lot of issues around the name. We would definitely call him by his first name. He is James Russell Dean. 
And so by going by his middle name, when you get ready to pay for something with the credit card, oh, James Dean. Huh, that's funny. Yeah, it's real funny. <laughs> and there would be no nicknames. You couldn't shorten the name. Whatever the child's first name was, was what they were going to be called. There were so many rules. Why couldn't an angel come to Russ in a dream? <laughs> the same way that it had happened for Joseph. Joseph didn't have any of those rules around the naming process. He was simply told the baby's name would be God is with us. And Joseph agreed. And that name sounds an awful lot like hope to me. The Native American tradition of naming was more of a calling it like they saw it process. They believed that names should change as you grow older. Children receive names that are descriptive, and then during adolescence, that original descriptor might not describe anymore, and so that name could be changed during the teenage years. And again, as they go on through life with different accomplishments and experiences, their names may change over time. You remember that old Kevin Costner movie, Dances with Wolves? He befriended a lone wolf on the western frontier who became his only companion and playmate. And as the natives watched him from afar, they named him the one who dances with wolves. In that same spirit, I could name some of you the one who bakes cakes for those who grieve. The one who sings like an angel. The one who keeps a faithful watch at the bedside. The one who sends cards. The one who knits as she prays. The one who waters the garden. The one who pays attention to details. The one who cries alongside. The one who can always make us laugh. The one who gives lavishly. The one who plans the party. The one who can fix anything. The one who takes care of the homeless. The one who prays without ceasing. And each of these names describes an element of hope for with each one of these are acts of God. Baking, singing, tending, caring, sowing, watering, organizing, crying, laughing, giving, planning, fixing, praying. Each one is a bit like birthing hope. And hope is always a reminder that God is with us. And that brings us back to the babe in a manger from so long ago that we know as Jesus.
It's why we wait and prepare and celebrate again this Advent season. Because we have to constantly be reminded that God is indeed still with us, even when it doesn't seem like it. Each one of us has a name other than the one that our parents gave us. What is yours? Jesus was given the name God is with us, which is perhaps our best hope. And until we are all, each one of us, pregnant with hope, how will we be able to give birth to hope, which is what our world so desperately needs? Meister Eckhart, a Christian mystic theologian and preacher from the 13th century, wrote in one of his Christmas sermons that the virgin birth is something that happens within each of us. He was ahead of his time. He went on to say that the story of the virgin birth is the story of Christ being born within each of us through the union of the Spirit of God with our flesh. And ultimately then, the story of Jesus' birth is not about something that happened a long time ago, but about the internal birth in us in this present moment. In each one of us, hope is just waiting to be born. And most often, hope is delivered through lots of pain, pushing, struggling, messy, laboring pain. You see, most often we hear the word hope connected to a situation that might seem to the naked eye as hopeless. We all know these stories. We're all related to those stories. We all, each one of us, live these stories each and every day in ICU waiting rooms and in shelters, in therapy, issues of hunger and homelessness and poverty, crowded prisons and wars and rumors of wars, and when dysfunction junction seems to run right through the lives of those we care most about, the hopeless situations are the situations that call us to talk about hope. The diagnosis, cancer, or AIDS. Today is World AIDS Day when we call attention to a disease that makes us feel scared and helpless and hopeless and today calls attention to one disease that functions as a modern-day leprosy where these people are isolated and hopeless. We are called today to give birth to hope in these situations. Painful, screaming, ugly, messy hope. That's how hope usually comes packaged. Painful, screaming, ugly, and messy. And that is what we must deliver 
I've been in several delivery rooms other than the two times that I gave birth. Each place, a true place of honor. One delivery room in particular makes me smile because so many people were working to make the delivery happen. It just tons of nurses and a couple of doctors and the husband and me and I wasn't really doing anything but I felt like I was and you're just working so hard and the mother screamed at the top of her lungs somebody do something I was so glad she could not see my face because it was so comical not a time to laugh. Somebody do something. The doctor gently said to her, you're the only one that can do this. Somebody do something. Hope is needed in that moment. But I've been stuck in preaching about hope because what about when hope doesn't work out? When we hold on to it and cling to it with every fiber of our being and hope does not provide the answer that we've been looking for. So last night online, one of my preacher friends asked, what gets in the way of hope? And another preacher, still grief-stricken by the tragic death of her own daughter, replied, grief gets in the way of hope, especially the resulting depletion. No energy to breathe equals no energy to hope. She said, there are those in my church who have said to me, their pastor, we'll hold hope for you until you are able to hold it for yourself again. And she said, I've appreciated them. If I got to choose my name for this Advent season, I think I would like to be named the one who holds hope. Unless, of course, I come across a stretch in the coming days where I need for that to be one of your names. May it be so.